Well, welcome again, everyone, and good morning. Thanks for joining us here. My name's Christopher. I've got some announcements for you before we get started today. First off, thanks for joining us again. Uh, just wanted to remind you that there is still plenty of space for either our in-person service on Sunday or Tuesday night. Uh, so please remember to register and uh, please feel free to jump over to our website anytime to do that. NewLifeCollingwood.com register should have all of the information you need or you can follow the link in our weekend newsletter. For kids, uh, in that same weekend newsletter, we have some resources for parents with children uh, so that you can engage with those anytime that you like throughout the week. Uh, feel free to do that at your leisure. It's there for you. Uh, youth stuff. We've got some pretty fun things going on. Uh, senior high is meeting every, alternating Thursday and Friday nights. This week, we will be meeting on Friday night from 7 to 9 here at the church for a lot of fun. And junior high, your programming starts up again on November 1st on Sunday morning. So I look forward to seeing you then. Additionally, we have a pretty fun Halloween event coming up. We're doing a candy giveaway. We're very conveniently naming the Candy Pult. Uh, so for anybody that's interested in getting some candy from 5.30 to 7.30 on Saturday, October 31st, that's right, Sybil, candy, uh, we'll be doing that. So you can join us then, uh, and if you're interested in donating candy, we could definitely make use of that. So if you would, you can drop that off at the church. There's a bin outside that you can put that in. Lastly, parking lot. We need some attendance, some help with our parking lot as the winter approaches. Uh, just a couple of extra hands uh, in order to help move really just the big poles. If that's something that you could help us with, we would love to have you. Please let us know. You can go to connect at newlifecollingwood.com and we can get you all the info that you'd need. We'd really need a couple hands there. So thanks if you're willing to do that. And lastly, and this is actually lastly, uh, we just wanted to say thanks for your giving. Uh, if you're here in person, there's a donation box at the back of the auditorium. You can put your uh, physical donations there, or there's tons of ways to give online, and it's quite quite easy. Uh, so if you'd like, you can go to newlifecollingwood.com slash give, and all the info's there. So now I'm going to kick it over to Paul, who's going to continue our message series from the margins. So Paul, thanks, and take it away. Turn the microphone on, and that will make it easier for them to hear what I'm trying to say. And you as well. How are you this week? Good? You all look stunned. And uh, I mean, I, I know I'm good looking, but I didn't realize I'd get that response from you, so. Nobody even laughed at that. Oh, man, hard crowd today. Hey, question for you. What grounds you? What makes you feel stable? Doesn't matter what's going on around you, whether things are great or whether it's chaos, what grounds you? And maybe it is uh, routine, routine that you have, and you just go through the same things every day. Maybe it's something that you do every morning, and that is something that grounds you. Time for yourself. Maybe it's time with other people. And there are just certain people in your life that you regularly need to be with them in order for you to feel like you've got your feet firmly planted. For some people, it's nature. For some people, it's the middle of the city. 
There are all kinds of different answers to that question, but, but I want us to just think about the question for you personally, what is it that grounds you? Okay? Next question. What is it that moves you? I love this quote. The man who invented instant pudding was moved to action by an inability to wait for pudding. He couldn't wait, so he was moved into action. And that's, I think, a question that is worth considering for us. Not for pudding, but what is it that moves you into action, into doing something? And it might be just simply that you love people and you are moved to do things for them. It might be that you experience or you see injustice and it moves you to do something. It might be fear. Fear of punishment. Fear of reprisals. Uh, It could be sometimes for some people what moves them is the idea of revenge. And it gets them moving. And similarly to that, this idea of like what what grounds you and what moves you, it's what motivates you. And I love this picture here. Can you see that guy running? And and that is a guy who's motivated to win that race. And I couldn't find the follow-up photo of, you know, the raspberries up and down his arms and and his face. But I love that picture because that is a wonderful picture about what motivation looks like. What is it that motivates you? Maybe it's reward. You're motivated because you know at the end of whatever, there's a reward waiting for you. For some people, it's altruism. They're just motivated because it's just something that's coming up from within them. And kind of like reward, maybe it's just, you know, the, the value of praise. And you know that that's coming. And today, we want to look at these three questions, both for you as individuals, but for us as a family. What grounds us? What moves us? What motivates us? And that brings us to this second week in the, in the Voices from the Margins, in looking at the Apostle Paul, this leader in the early church, who wrote 13 letters in our New Testament. And we want to look at, kind of broadly, some more of his letters this week. And just kind of drawing some stuff out in this idea of how do we find our voice in the world today? How do these letters lead us to Jesus? And I think what Paul does for many of his original readers, and that God is still using his words to speak in our hearts today, is he kind of answers these questions. What grounds you? What moves you? What motivates you? And he does it. Um, with this triad of virtues. And as soon as I say it, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It's the triad of virtues of faith, hope, and love. And many of you have been to a wedding where these were read from 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. These three remain, but the greatest of these is love. And we're going to look at that, but not till a little bit later. Because I want to go to a different letter that Paul wrote and actually unpack this a little bit for us this morning. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul introduces us to this triad. Remember, he wrote Thessalonians before he wrote 
Corinthians. And he introduces us to this triad at the beginning of this letter and at the end of this letter, in chapter 1 and in chapter 5. But there's something different about this, and you'll see it in just a moment. So let's look at the verse. Here's Paul saying, We always thank God for all of you, and we pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, of your loving deeds, and your enduring hope that you have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll see that he's actually switched hope and love in this context. And he does the very same thing in chapter 5. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, it's this order again. So this theme of these three virtues is fairly prominent in Paul's writing. And he brings them out as a triad, but he also talks about each of these individually kind of all throughout. So what I'm hoping to do today is to help us see how faith grounds us Love moves us, and hope motivates us. And to see how this is part and parcel of how we find our voice in the world today. I want to talk about this idea of faith. We, um, probably more than any other word, you'll come across this, uh, uh, this concept of faith, more than hope, more than love in the scriptures. As Christians, we talk a lot about being people of faith, Right? And when we talk about being people of faith, there's, there's a word group around here. There's a, a word that's used to translate uh, faith, and it also gets translated as believe. And so we would talk about often in churches, people who are part of a faith community, we also call them believers. It's the same word. It's the same word in verb form and in noun form. The root word is the same. And so we talk a lot about faith in the church, and we talk a lot about belief in the church, and we talk a lot about believers. And often what happens is is words, as they get used a lot, they take on kind of an assumed understanding and meaning. And sometimes what that means is we pare away uh, some of the the other meanings to a word, like love, and we'll talk about that in a moment. We use the word love all the time, and yet we, if we stop and think about it, love has a host of different meanings to it. When we use the word faith, we often mean intellectual assent. People have faith in Jesus, or they are believers because they believe certain things to be true, certain elements to, be, to have value based in reality and to be true. And that's what we talk about when someone is a person of faith. And here, Paul, in this passage, he's writing and he's saying, you know, your, your faithful works or your work that is prompted by your faith. And this word group um, is so rich when we take the time to begin walking through, particularly in Paul's letters, what he means when he's talking about a people of faith. Because it is much more than just an intellectual assent to a, to a truth statement. It is about, um, if, I could, if I could say that I had faith in someone. Another way that we might translate that, or another way that we might say that, is that I trust in someone. I have faith in, in my friends that they are going to be my friends no matter who I am. And sometimes I push their push them on that. 
but I have faith that they will still love me. In other words, I trust them. And when you begin to understand that you, when you have the word in, in Scripture, like in this passage here that is translated as faith, can also be translated as trust, you now that begins to give you a, a, a deeper and a more nuanced understanding about faith. When we talk about believers, we could also talk about faithful ones. That not only is it a faith in, but it's also kind of faithful for. And so you can get the idea of faithfulness that comes out of this word. You can get the idea of loyalty that comes out of this word. And so when Paul talks about faith, hope, and love, or faith, love, and hope, he's also talking about a people who are loyal. So the work that we do is because of our loyalty to God, not just our faith in God or our belief in God or our belief in Jesus. It comes out of our loyalty. In fact, one author has said a a good way to translate the noun form of this word is to talk about, uh, or the verb form, is believing allegiance. That we have believing allegiance to God. And Paul says this is what grounds us. And it's not just faith. See, here's, here, I'm going to play this through um, over and over again. It's not just faith in something that's abstract. It's faith in a person, in the person of Jesus, in the God that we begin to know and experience. And that is very different than just an intellectual assent to, to a proclamation or to a conceptual process. So that's this idea of faith. And then Paul talks about this idea of love. So in Thessalonians, he says it's faith, love, and hope. Why does he put hope last? Give me a second and I'll touch on that. But as he talks about love, we know that this word has all kinds of different meanings. Uh, In the original biblical languages here in Greek, there are four different words for the word love. And when we translate it into English, we translate it into love. And when we kind of throw this word around in our world today. There's lots of people talking about love. Right now, uh, south of the border, um, we're just encouraging people, can you just try to love each other? You know, in all of your differences. You're all sitting here in the room today, and some of you are choosing to be at home because of your love. Because your love for people is, is prompting you to keep your mask on even though you and I both know um, it's really not fun to wear them. And you're probably sitting here today and you got a little bit of moisture going on around here as you keep breathing in and out and you're thinking like, man, it'd be nice to be Paul. I'm like, hey, if you want to not wear your mask here on Sunday morning, all you got to do is speak and, and share. But it's love that's prompting you to be that way. And love is very much... Um, an action word. It's much more a verb than it is a noun. And it's love that's rooted in Jesus, and it's a love for Jesus, and it's a love that comes from Jesus. And here's the wild thing about love. Love flows. It moves. It's never static. So when we in the church talk about the love of God, we're not talking about something that that we receive and then it stagnates. Love flows. It is a river. It's not a pond. It is always moving because its source comes from God himself and he is always giving and sending out his love. 
And what love does is it begins to change the way that we see people. So when I hear this word love being used a lot, when I hear the Beatles say, all you need is love, when I hear people saying, like, if we would just learn to love each other, uh, I want to ask the question, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by loving somebody? Because I think for a lot of us in our world today, the definition of love has to do with people that, that are like me, people that think like me, people that act like me, people that maybe even look like me. And a Jesus-shaped kind of love or a Jesus-centered kind of love is a love that flows to everybody. And it changes the way we see. So Paul wrote another letter to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, 2 Corinthians, second letter he wrote to them, chapter 5, verse 16. He says, you know, we used to look at people, when we saw people, we used to look at them with human eyes. We used to see them from a certain perspective. And he might even, might even use, we looked at them from a worldly point of view. And then, and then something happened. We, we met Jesus, and the love of God through Jesus changed the way we see. And now when we look at people, we don't see them from a human point of view. We see them from a godly perspective. We see them with the eyes of Jesus. And that motivates us. It moves us to act on their behalf. Because love flows. And we are compelled to go to them. So Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, he's saying, listen, your faithful works are being talked about all over the world. Your loving deeds are broadcasting who you are to all the people around you. And then he comes to this idea of hope. And Paul, in this passage, in the Corinthians passage, which if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this passage read, you know, faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love. And you read it in this passage, and it's faith, love, and hope. And what Paul's doing, he's writing to a people that are being persecuted. And it's because they found their voice, and it was starting to make them stand out and appear different to, to the world around them. And it was actually creating some problems for them. Not because they went out actively looking for it, but things were changing within them. And so he finishes, and the, most of the rest of the letter is, is helping them see the value of hope and calling them to live this kind of life that God was calling them to live. God was calling them to, you were like this, and I'm calling you to live more and more within my life, to participate in my life with me. And that's kind of being called out and sometimes, um, biblically, this is where we talk about the word holy or holiness. It's not about escaping from the world. It's just about being changed from the inside out in such a way that you're starting to reflect more and more the, the God who created this world. And that often will stand in contrast to the things that we see happening in the world around us. So Paul's trying to encourage them in their hope. Now, here's the thing about hope. When I talk about faith, faith is in the present. When I talk about love, love is in the present. When we talk about hope intellectually in our minds, we switch to the future. And so in Christian lingo, we talk about the hope of eternity or the hope of Jesus. And what happens is our hope gets turned into this event, this thing that's going to happen down the road. Right now, oh well, I'll have to, I'll have to live with with what's going on in my world. But I've got the hope in, 
in what's going to come, eternal life, or, or I have the hope of heaven. And, and I want to suggest that Paul is correcting this a little bit for the Thessalonians, and he's correcting it for us, that our hope is not in a future event. Our hope is in a present person, a present reality. So in Christian um, understanding, when we talk about eternity, yes, there's the, the not yet part of eternity. There are things we have to look forward to, but they are rooted in the present because this is where we connect with God through Jesus. And our hope is in Jesus now, and eternal life begins now with him, not just some event that's going to happen later. And in each of these, faith, hope, and love, they are rooted in a person. They are rooted in Jesus. And this is how these letters, these themes of Paul, as he keeps writing about things like faith, hope, and love, these are all rooted in Jesus, and they just lead us to him again and again and again. So Jesus is the one who grounds us because our faith is in him. Jesus is the one who moves us because of our love for him. Jesus is the one uh, who motivates us because of the hope that we have that comes from him and that is for him. And in each one of these, Jesus is the source and the object. He's the source of our faith and he's the object of our faith. He is the source of our love. He's the object of our love. He's the source of our hope. He is the object of of our hope. Our faith rests in him, our love stems from him, our hope focuses on him. So what does it have to do with our voice? Paul's writing these letters often to people on the margins. They're not in a place of power. They're not in a place of strong influence. And I think as a a church, as the church, we should never crave power. At least not the kind of power that exists in this world. Because almost always, when we seek power, what ends up happening is we use power to come over people and to hold it over people. And what Jesus does is he translates that in teaching us that it is always used to come under people and to lift them up. And so faith, hope, and love are, are, I call them missional words. They're words that are about the mission of God in this world. And God is inviting us, asking us to partner with him to come into this world and to work with him and to partner with him. And as the Thessalonians were doing that, what happened was they began the way they lived began to be in contrast to the way of how people were living around them. And it was so radical that people began to push back against them. And then Paul talks about suffering and persecution quite a bit through this letter. And he says, don't let go of that hope that you have in Jesus because it's leading you to be the kind of people that God has called you to be. It's leading you to be the kind of holy people that God has called you to be. Let God be your motivation for this. Now, faith, hope, and love in Jesus, for Jesus, from Jesus, for God. I want to just change this a little bit as we come back to Corinthians. So we would say these are things that God kind of looks for within us. 
And, and, I would, and I would even say what the Apostle Paul is doing is, is I don't think he's writing and saying, listen, you need to be more faithful. You need to have more faith. You need to be better at loving. You need to increase your hope. And we often live in that frame of mind that it's all, it's all upon me. It's my responsibility. And I think what Paul is saying is when you see that these are grounded and rooted in Jesus, Part of the beauty of the good news is that what we can't do for ourselves, God does for us in saving ourselves, but in also living in God's life. And so the more that we stay turned toward Jesus, the more that we have an open posture to him, as Steve had us doing just a moment ago, like physically, symbolically holding our hands out in an open posture, that is an invitation to receive more of him or for us to give more of ourselves over to God. And then he begins to work these things in us more and more. Now let's jump over to the Corinthians passage. In Thessalonians, it's very much faith, love, hope. And very much about, about their faith, their love, their hope. And that, that's ringing out all over the world. It's helping them find their voice. In the Corinthians passage, if you stop and think about it, the Apostle Paul is writing about love. 1 Corinthians 13. It's the the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It isn't rude. It's not this. It's not that. It is this, and it is this, and it is this, and it is this. And then you come to verse 7, and Paul says this, Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. So it never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It always endures. And then he says, these three remain, faith, hope, love. Now, I think in Corinthians, why he finishes with love, it's just they didn't need to worry about hope. They needed to figure out how to love each other. So Paul spends a lot more time focusing on that. If I could just get you to jump over with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. John is writing about God, and he says this, God is love. Eight verses later, verse 16, he says the very same thing. God is is love. You always have to be careful taking something that Paul says and something that John says and then going like this, but I think in this case we can do this. So when Paul is describing love in 1 Corinthians 13, he is describing God. And he is saying God never gives up. You see how I was saying earlier about faith isn't just in an an abstract concept. Love isn't just about something it's based in a relationship with a person and that's what grounds us we're grounded so much more when we relationally have our faith in Jesus or in people rather than just some abstract thing and it's the same with hope it's the same with love it is all relational so God never gives up God never loses faith God is always hopeful and he endures through every circumstance now Stop and think about this for a minute. For what or, or with what will God never give up? With whom? With whom will God not lose his faith? With whom will God always be hopeful? Because love is relational. Love cannot be anything but relational. And here's where I'm going with this, and I, and I hope it's going to help us see how faith, hope, and love, rooted in Jesus, 
actually are what allow us to find our voice in this world. We have no problem with saying, like in each of these three, we know that that's kind of what God wants from us. And we have no issue with saying that, that God loves us. Because throughout Scripture, we read this again and again. But how does it make you feel personally and for us collectively when you understand that God has faith in you? God trusts you. He trusts us. God hopes that we are actually going to be the kind of people that we can be if we would just stay turned towards him and receive from him through the Spirit of Christ. How does that make you feel? You know that God loves you. We've been talking about that for 2,000 years. And sometimes I think we forget that God actually believes in you. He trusts you. He has faith in you. And when we think about finding our voice in this world, of being people who are, who are grounded in faith in Jesus, who are moved in our love for Jesus, and who are hopeful because of Jesus, how does it change when you realize that God is the very same way towards you, towards us collectively as a people? Because rooted in Jesus, all of these things, these three are in a never-ending supply. There's no scarcity here. You are never going to run out of the ability to love people in ways way beyond what you ever would have thought imaginable. You are never going to run out of hope, not in just a future state. And we do look forward to that, but we look forward to it because of the one who's connected to it, and he's also connected to our now. And our faith is in him, and his faith is in us. And I wonder if that's... um, helpful because it allows us to live the kind of life that God calls us into. So I want to read a quote for you from a man named Michael Gordon because in this Thessalonians passage uh, Paul's talking about um, faith, hope, and love encouraging these people and he's moving them to this, this idea about living, living as God calls us and that's where we get this idea of holiness and he writes this what is holiness? As we will see in more detail, it is not withdrawal from the world. That's not what we're being called to, as some would think. It is a kind of participation in God that means participation in the world in a radically new and different way. And then Michael Gordon writes this. Faith, love, and hope have to do with the distinctive form of Christian participation in the world. They are not merely centripetal. That's this idea about everything coming in towards us but they are centrifugal. That is about us going out. In other words, faith, hope, and love have to do with witness and with mission. And if I could translate all of that, faith, hope, and love are our voice. And they are rooted in Jesus. And and I hope that it motivates us to understand 
But not only does God love you and love us, that God has faith in us, that God hopes in us, that God loves us. And that in turn, we would find that in Jesus, we are grounded in faith, we are moved through love, and we are motivated by hope. Amen. In the New Life at Home part in the notes, if you ever want to look that up, I've put a prayer in there, and I want to offer that prayer for us as we finish our time together. And so I pray on our behalf, Father God, may we have the faithfulness to carry on the work to which you have called us. May our love for you be expressed through how we love those around us. May we daily discover a new hope to carry on because of who you are and what you have done for us. May our lives be characterized by faith, hope, and love through Jesus Christ, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be praise, glory, and honor, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So before you go, I have one more thing that I want to say. And that is, we're excited about what we're going to be doing this week to serve children in our New Life family and even in our community through trying to make some normalcy for them around Halloween. And one of the things we've been asking is if you would consider donating some candy. And if you want to write my name on the box, um, that's okay. They'll make sure it gets to the right place. But uh, we're, we're working on creating a fun way for kids to get a bag of candy that hasn't been handled by a whole bunch of other kids or anything like that in a very safe way. So on Halloween night, families can come here between 5.30 and 7.30. Uh, we're promoting it mostly within our New Life Circles. We expect there'll probably be a few other people, but if you want to donate some candy that way, we would just love to have you during the week. There's a box outside in the front porch. Just come on over, drop it off. If you want to uh, leave a little bit of cash or something for somebody to do that, call the church office. Um, They'll take care of that for you. Um, It's just another way that we're trying to serve one another, serve our community, and uh, and have some fun doing that. And um, if you've got more questions, feel free to send an email. Um, make a call and uh, we'll see you next week as we move forward in this series on on the margins from the margins and looking at another one of our authors of letters in the New Testament we'll see you next Sunday